You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Tommy's on the phone from Houston. Aaron's here. I'm here after the Nats won 12-3 last night to take a 2-0 series lead. It was such a good game um, through six innings. So compelling, so tight, and then they blew it open in the seventh. We've got that. That's what we're going to spend the first half of this show on. And then the back half of the show, we will talk about Redskins-Vikings tonight. Tommy, you know... And you you get this too, um, but I probably get it more than you. I get people that like to program the show for me, you know, sending yes. sending me tweets. Now, if you spend one second on the Redskins tomorrow, nobody cares about the Redskins game. <laughs> uh, thank you, but you know what? Actually, a lot of people care about the Redskins game. That's the truth of the matter. But I, right now, personally, um, care less, much less about that uh, than the baseball, which was. You know, I described it on radio today, Tommy, and tell me what you think of this. as a game that essentially had three parts. The pitcher part, which was, you know, Verlander versus Strasburg. Both started off slowly and then both pitched great. Strasburg's sixth inning to get out of that situation, a dangerous situation, was really the, the most tense, the most dramatic portion of the night. That's, so you had the pitchers, and then I said you had the sixth inning Strasburg getting through it, and then the last part was the avalanche that started with the Suzuki home run in the seventh, and they just ran away and hid from a great Astros team, but a game that really was so good through this, the, the, the end of the sixth inning, and I thought we were headed towards, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth inning drama until what they did to, to Verlander and the bullpen in the seventh and eighth. Yeah, it really was like a heavyweight matchup uh, between two great fighters for, you know, the, the first uh, six innings or at least five of the first six innings. And, uh, and then it just it, it deteriorated into this, this slugfest, uh, and uh, the Astros just collapsed. I mean, again, the Astros, I thought, and I was wrong, uh, were, the, were the team that, that just seemed to, like, just bask in the professionalism of what they do, and the Nationals just seemed to be riding on this wave of having fun. Uh, well, what you saw in, in, in that was, was the opposite. You saw you saw a Nationals team that was you know methodical in their at bats against the Astros and broke them down. Uh, and and you saw an Astros team that while they they weren't having fun, they they were consumed by by their own failures. Yeah, they definitely. Um... That's a really good way to describe it. They were the 107-game winner, the heavy favorite, the group that had been there before, and they had their two best pitchers, including arguably the best pitcher in the sport, in the moment anyway, going in the first two games at home. They lose game one, and the Nats, you know, it, it was one of those games in which, you know, they could chalk up, you know, Garrett wasn't as good as he's usually been. We had a chance to get to Scherzer. We never did. It's just one game. But then you're back at it, and first of all, Rendon, you know, puts the Nats out 2 nothing in the first. They came back, by the way, with Bregman, who's really struggled in this series and struggled defensively last night, hitting a two-run homer off a Strasburg changeup, by the way, 
first, uh, uh, by the way, Fox last night with the broadcast was phenomenal. It seemed like every inning they had a tidbit about something that was a first or a historic, you know, uh, accomplishment that the Nats were in the midst of. But one of the things that popped up is that's the first change-up home run Strasburg's given up since August. His change-ups have been unhittable. And Bregman yes, hit yes. it. And then you got this, you know, back and forth game with a couple of threats here and there. And then Tommy Strasburg in the sixth. This is exactly what we've talked about, you know, now, you know, in this postseason and and the narrative that has changed on him. I mean, you had opportunities for him to really buckle. He looked spent. The pitch count was above a hundred. You know, he got behind Alvarez and then they intentionally walked him, which was the right thing for Davey to do. And then Correa, he's got two pitches that looked like strike three. Absolutely looked like strike three. The one and two pitch and the two two pitch. And he doesn't get rattled, but he yelled at the ump. I mean, he got really animated. And then he gets Correa to pop out and gets Tucker on a curveball, a three two curveball. And that was a jump out of your seat moment. Like I was talking to Ray Knight about it this morning, and I said to him, I'm like, you know, who at 3-2 throws an 80-mile-per-hour curveball with two runners on and stuck it right in there and totally froze Tucker? And I was like, man, Strasburg is one great clutch pitcher. He really was after the first inning last night. Yeah, and, and what's he has supreme confidence in his ability to throw – three or four pitches differently. Yeah. I mean, I, I can remember when he started working on his changeup years ago, and there was some pushback on it as to whether or not the, the, the motion for the changeup would ultimately re-aggravate his Tommy John situation. There was some debate about that. Uh, well, that debate is gone at, at this point. His changeup is one of the best pitches in, in all baseball right now. Uh, and Suzuki talked about last night, Kurt Suzuki, who, who you know, was the guy who stirred the drink for the Nationals last night. Uh, he talked about how Strasburg has this ability now to throw so many different pitchers and keep hitters, like, just just totally off base. Yeah, it was um... – it was just like Scherzer, you know, had that grinded out, didn't have his best stuff. It was different last night because Strasburg did have his stuff after the first inning. Scherzer was behind in almost every count, but somehow got out of five innings with just two earned runs. Um, Strasburg after the first, yeah, and Verlander too. They both settled down and they both were really, really good. But that sixth inning, and by the way, I got to ask you before we get to the seventh. And 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 the offensive, you know, um, beginning that 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 starts to to, uh, to end the game basically. How about Rodney up as the first guy in the bullpen in a two-two game? I was shocked. I thought for sure that Corbin was going to be available if they needed him in a tight game last night. And when Rodney got up in the sixth inning with Strasburg still out there, I was like, oh, my God. Now, he got in in an 8-2 game, so a, a much different situation by the time he came in. But he was likely going to be the pitcher in a 2-2 game in the bottom of the seventh. That's remarkably frightening. I know. That absolutely is. And I'm not, you know, I mean, he was the only one up. So I, I guess that would have happened. I still have a hard time believing that Davey <laughs> would have done that. I, I just can't. I just can't see him doing that in, in, in that situation. Uh, maybe, maybe there was a sense that if the game was broken open at that point, you know, if the Astros broke open the game, 
but even that, no, no, that, that's, I mean, that, that's pretty frightening. On, on the other hand, when Rodney came in, he, you know, the Astros couldn't do anything with him, even when the score was, you know, eight to two. Yeah, but it probably it would have been a different situation had he entered the game in a two-two or a three-two game. Oh, I know. Aaron, did, know. You were you want, surprised? You don't want to see him. Aaron, were you shocked? Like I, I mean, we had heard yesterday that it was very possible that Corbin would be available again last night. Um, and by the way, if Corbin had pitched last night, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerman said that there was even a remote possibility that Joe Ross could get the yeah. start in Game Four. But were you shocked that Rodney was the first one up? I wasn't shocked just because they have shown a little bit of faith in him, and I did think that they would, you know, they wouldn't use Rainey again. Well, they've shown more faith in Rainey, but they, I, I didn't think they would pitch Rainey back to back like that, especially after, uh, you know, he had a little trouble the yeah. last time out. So it wasn't shock. It did send me. I was at Nationals Park, and everyone around me got very nervous when they saw that. Yeah, I mean, Tommy, like it's like everything is going their way, you know, in this postseason. Like they're like Rodney didn't have to enter the game in a two-two or a three-two game or even four-two. He came in with a six-run lead after they broke it open in the seventh with Suzuki's home run. And by the way, what an underrated two games he's played. I mean, even before that home run, defensively, he's been so good. Oh, absolutely, absolutely tremendous. You know. Uh... Steven Strasburg had a quote about the Nationals that he said, in the postseason, in the past, they've seemed to run into a buzzsaw in the other team. I mean, two of their four postseasons, the team went on to win the World Series. Uh, so uh, Strasburg said, maybe this year we're the buzzsaw that everybody is running into. Right. And he's right. They, they are just that. I mean, eight straight postseason wins that ties the all-time record. Uh, you know, I mean, they they literally are. I mean, they've got all these cylinders pumping at, at the same time. And I always thought that maybe not all of the postseason teams they've had in the past, but I think most of them had the capability of doing the same thing, but just fell short for one reason. Now, they never hit in the postseason like they are this postseason. They always seem to struggle with their with their hitting in previous uh, playoff appearances, even though they had tremendous lineups and great hitting, uh, I think it's the personality uh, of this team, the veteran makeup of this team, and uh, and and their manager, Davey Martinez. You know, this is I know this has been reduced in some ways to old school versus new school. The Astros with their analytics computers. The Nationals, with their we would you know rely more heavily on scouting, uh, but in a way that's accurate because they talked about this after the game. The Nationals hate to strike out; they they don't like to do it. This is why they're so successful with two strikes. I mean, they constantly they, they want to put the ball in play, and that's not the trend in the game. The trend in the game is you know the strikeouts are worth the chance to drive the ball you know, uh, over the fence. Right. I mean, strikeouts are up year after year after year, and the Nationals, since spring training, have preached don't strike out. Right. And that's, that's, that's served them well in this postseason. Yeah, um, 
I think it's I think it's really interesting that the whole discussion about you know Houston being a team that doesn't send out scouts and the Nats are you know led by Mike Rizzo who's a scout scout you know every time I look at the Nats and they're shifted over and somebody hits a ground ball right into the shift I'm like there is some there is some data and some analytics being used here to to, to make decisions you know in the game and somebody pointed out to me you know there's a reason that Strasburg's thrown so many curveballs you know, over the last couple of years um, versus what he threw early on and more change-ups. By the way, that, that, that Bregman home run, um, I think I already mentioned this, but that, that was a change-up. Like, Strasburg, I, I, I love his stones. Like, it's just the opposite of what we used to think. He's a big stones pitcher throwing that curve to get Correa out or to get Tucker out there to end the sixth. That was just an unbelievable um, – Unbelievable pitch. So I wanted to read a quote to you that I that I, I read the, early this morning that I thought was really interesting because they're in the seventh after Suzuki goes deep for a 3-2 lead. Um, you get Robles up, and Robles doesn't walk. You know, he hasn't been a patient hitter. He's only walked 35 times all year. He's gotten hit by a pitch almost as much as he's walked this year. And Adam Eaton said that that was the most important at-bat of the night, and I'm going to find the quote here. I had it up a minute ago. Give me a second here. Um, he said he said that you know Robles. Here's the here's the quote. By the way, Robles in that at bat, he looked at strike three. I mean, there was a pitch that was right down the middle that I could not believe was not called strike three with a two and two count. But anyway, um, Eaton said the following. He said, "It's very difficult to hit after a solo home run." especially in a big game. Sometimes you want to do too much. You want to hit another homer, that type of deal, keep things going. To walk there, talking about Robles, for me, he said, that's the play of the game, closed quote. It did knock Verlander out. I don't know if Verlander was going to stay in uh, past Robles anyway, but you know, the Suzuki homer by itself, doesn't more likely than not win the game. I mean, Houston's got enough firepower. They're going to face Fernando Rodney in the bottom of the seventh. And I thought it was interesting that that Eaton honed in on that at bat, that Robles walking that got the rest of the inning jump-started was the key moment in the game. I didn't think of it that way in the moment. Well, I don't necessarily agree with them. I think the Suzuki home run changed everything in the game. By itself, it would not have won the game. But just like the Zimmerman home run, uh, you know, the, the the night before, it sort of opened up the floodgates for, for the the rest of the offense. It certainly energized the team. I don't think they anyone expected Suzuki to put that kind of uh, uh, wood on on the ball like like he did. So I still think that it was it was the Suzuki home run was the key moment moment for the for the game. I think that's that's really what 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 changed everything. For the Nationals' offense moving forward, uh, it was three to two. Robles walked, Turner walked. You know, then they used Eaton to sack, bunt those guys over. Rendon, I was listening to Hinch in the postgame show last night um, that they were running on MLB Network, and it was really funny. He said, you know, that seventh inning, the one, you know, you got Rendon coming up, and you got you know Turner and Robles on second and third. And Soto's behind him, and it's like the one guy that you're, you know, you think you can't get out, you actually get him. 
out. And you know, Springer made a really good play to to keep Robles at third and and not allow him to tag up and score. They walked Soto, and then you had back to back back what what you know you guys refer to as professional hitters, Kendrick and Cabrera with runners on, and Kendrick hits that shot to Bregman, which he couldn't handle. They called it a base hit. I think that's right. Um, although a lot of guys afterwards were saying, you know, that's a play Bregman can make. It's like a 50-50 play. And then I loved Cabrera last night. Like, I think you said on Tuesday, I know uh, others said this, that you expected Dozier to get the start at second. We, well, we, well, that was only because that was only because I expected a pitching matchup between Scherzer yeah. and and uh, Cole. Yeah. And, and that, but, but I, I look at game two, Knowing Cabrera's numbers against uh, Verlander, yeah. I expected him to start in game two. Right, and and that's why he was in there. You know, he was in there for that professional two-run RBI single when you had to have it to stretch the lead out. Um, and it was a great at bat too, because that guy, when he's down in the count, just battles. You know, he'll strike out a bunch when nobody's on, but when people are on, that guy is a tough uh, out. It was an awesome game. I would I would ask you a couple of things in follow up. Number one, but wait wait a minute wait yeah. a minute Let, let's 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 go back to what you mentioned the Soto intentional walk. Yeah, that was unbelievable. The Astros have not intentionally walked a hitter. I know all year. I couldn't believe when I saw that. I'm like, how can you go 162 games without an intentional walk? That's crazy, crazy. It goes against it goes against you know their very grain of of, of AJ Hinch managing. And somebody asked them that in the game after the game last night, and his answer was, "Have you watched Soto in this series?" Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, context is everything. And with first yeah, base open, I mean, if he had pitched to Soto, that would have been insane in that I spot. Um, but yeah, and you know, Kendrick comes up with the bases loaded after a Soto intentional walk again, just like he did in game five against the Dodgers. And he hit it hard, you know, and hit it in there and Bregman got the glove on it and that scored another run. And then Cabrera got the two in and then Zimmerman. Uh, it was, it, it was great. But yes, there, there were things it, the, the the Fox broadcast was excellent last night in giving you all of these tidbits, um, and I'm fine with Joe Buck and, and Smoltz, and I, I think they do a good job. But they, the, a lot of these historic numbers that were popping up about what the Nationals had done and what they've been doing in the postseason were really interesting. I'm going to get to those in a moment, but that was an unbelievable. That was a jaw dropper that they hadn't intentionally walked somebody. Yes, and in the entire season and postseason to date, it's crazy. Crazy. And this is a twenty. This is a twenty-year-old kid who's who's become the star of the postseason. Oh yeah, and the most feared hitter in, in, in the Nationals lineup. He turns twenty-one tomorrow for Game Three. Well, look, first base was open for Rendon too, and they didn't walk him to get to Soto. Yep. You know, they weren't no, they about didn't. to do that. Um, all right, so we both, I think, felt. In, you know, after the two games in St. Louis, that the series were, was for all intents and purposes over because St. Louis just didn't. They looked dead coming, you know, out of St. Louis, and they didn't have the firepower really to 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 win four out of the next five games. What do you think about the Astros? Do you think they're dead? I don't think they're dead. Look, the, the Nationals have won eight straight games. The Houston Astros can win four straight games. It can happen. Or four of the next five. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, we're talking about 
you know, arguably uh, the best regular season team in baseball uh, this year, uh, a team that won the World Series two years ago. I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're going to fold up under the pressure. I mean, they've got the. We've been here before. We we know how to win in postseason. You know, uh, basically resume behind them. So I I I, I don't think they're done. Uh, and I'd be real wary about you know celebrating a little bit too early uh, because they're certainly capable of beating the Nationals in four of the next five games. Um, I've had the over in the first two games. It was totally the contrarian play with the pitching matchups, um, and I'm 2-0, and Aaron, in this series now. I love the Astros on Friday night. They're favored in yes, the Friday night game. Um, they are favored in game three. They're a minus 125, minus 130 favorite, and I think the world will be on the Nats to win that game. Um, but, yeah, I don't think they're dead either. I, I would be surprised if they don't win at least a game or two over the weekend. But I don't see this as a clean sweep. I would think that the Nationals are going to have to battle the next two in particular with Sanchez and with Corbin. Yeah, I, I, absolutely, I absolutely think that. I mean, if, if it's a sweep, then we're talking about one of the historic postseason teams oh, of all time. Of all time. Yeah. Yes. But you know, if, I mean, but Tommy, a historic if they do sweep or even if they win in 5. I mean, the run that they've had is already, yeah. you know, historic in terms of the number of games in a row, the number of road games, and they were within, you know, 3 down 3-1 in the 8th inning against Josh Hader, down 3-1 in game 5 to the Dodgers and Dave Roberts leaves Kershaw in there. You know, it's such a fine line in sports, not just baseball. We we see these things all the time where you look back and you're like, wow, it was almost over before it started. You know, and if it had ended, you know, in that wild card game against Milwaukee, think about this. Like, okay, they made a really nice run, but they lost in the playoffs again. And are the learners going to lose Rendon? Because if they lose him, then the franchise is being just ripped apart by everybody, you know, despite the run to get into the postseason. They were facing the best closer in the sport down 3-1. And they got it done with a broken bat bloop single, a hit by pitch, and a hit by Soto, which was awesome, but it also was was an error on, on the right fielder. You know, on that same play, and that's how close right. they were to being eliminated. And we would have spent a lot of the you know week following, you know, talking about Scherzer and the decision to pitch Scherzer. And Roberts should have never left Kershaw in there to face Soto after Rendon homered. Never. Yeah. Um, so yeah. a lot of different things that you need. It's 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 what you know they've been buzzsawed in the past, and now they're that now they're buzzsawing people, and they've been on the back end and the wrong end of all of the breaks. And this yes, particular they postseason, they're getting everyone to go their way. Yes, they have seen more than their share of breaks go against them in the postseason. I mean, there, there's I have, I, don't, I still shiver when I think of that fifth inning against the Chicago Cubs. In, in in 2017, right. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, every, everything they seem to, to to do right now seems to work for them. But you know, when you look at their talent, you can certainly understand it and and, and explain it because I mean, the, the their lineup from top to bottom uh, are full of. I mean, there's no outs in that lineup. Nope. No, there isn't. 
There isn't, and you know, even la- like you know, guys, Michael A. Taylor gets into the act. That was another one um, that I, I was stunned at it's to 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 hear that last night was the first time in World Series history that a team had a home run in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning of a World Series game. Really, I didn't know that. I I, I was shocked by it. Like I was like, really? It it seems like it would have happened, but Suzuki in the seventh, Eaton in the eighth, and then Taylor in the ninth. First time one team has had a home run in each the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings of a World Series game. Crazy. Yeah. Um, it, it was. It's awesome. You're right. It's a great lineup. Healthy. You know, and it's got stars with Rendon and Soto in the lineup. And they've got professional older guys like Cabrera and Kendrick and Zimmerman in the line. And Suzuki. You know, Suzuki became the oldest player to hit a go-ahead home run in a World Series game in the seventh inning or later at 36 years old. <laughs> that was another one. I mean... Uh, he had, listen, he had 17 home runs this year in less than 300 at-bats. Yeah, I mean his his power has emerged in the past couple of years for him. Uh, for, I mean, usually he was like a, a fourteen or fifteen home run a year guy over the course of a full season. Uh, and again, uh, Suzuki is one of the the strongest clubhouse presences on the team. Every conversation you hear about the Nationals when they've had discussions in that clubhouse, especially during those tough times. Suzuki's name comes up every single time. He is one of the emotional leaders on that team. Ryan Zimmerman was talking about him last night. He was on with, um, I forget where I saw Ryan late, uh, early this morning, actually. That game was a four-hour-plus game. And by the way, you forget so many things when a game you know, had that much to it. And I was just looking through my notes. How about Altuve trying to steal third in the bottom of the first? It would have been a bigger inning, potentially, for Houston if he didn't. And, and Suzuki you know, made a great throw. To, 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 yeah. to get him out. But um, Zimmerman said about Suzuki, he, he just said, he just smiled when he was asked about him, and he said, you know, he was here in 2012, and he was a great teammate then, and he's a great teammate now. Everybody loves him and respects him, and it was so good to see that happen to him tonight. So, you know. Yeah. When Tremendous you, respect for that guy. Yeah. Um, all right, so here are some of the incredible, you know, uh, statistics and 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 accomplishments that came out of that game. First of all, the Nats have now won eight straight games in the postseason. That ties the 14 Royals, the 05 White Sox, and the 04 Red Sox for the longest win streak in a single postseason. That's where the Nats are right now with eight straight. You know, starting with the Dodgers game. And two of those teams went on to win the World Series, not all three. Right. Um, So... uh, yeah, because they won. I was thinking for a second. Wait a minute. Did they win Game Four? Yeah, they the, won Game the Four. Royals, the, Dodgers. the Royals. The Royals lost to the Giants. In in, yeah, in 2014. Exactly. Um, that was the uh, Bumgarner uh, comes out of the bullpen yeah. series. Um, so uh, then here, here's more. All right, you'll love this stuff. The Nats combined in the first two games to score 17 runs. It's the third most by any road team in the first two games of a World Series ever. It's the most that a team has scored on the road in the first two games in the World Series since the Yankees scored 20 in the first two games of the 1960 World Series against Pittsburgh. Correct me if I'm wrong, that's the Mazeroski World Series, right? Yes, it is. That was the bizarre World Series 
where the Yankees won, I think, all three of their games by tremendously wide margins. And, and every game the Pirates won was razor thin. But, yes, it was the Mazarowski home run and uh, in, in, in the walk-off home run in Game 7. Uh, was the sixty series, but yeah, I mean those, and, and I, that was that was a tremendous series for the Yankees, absolutely. Off Ralph Terry, right? Did I get that one right? I, I think you might have that one right. Yeah, off Ralph Terry, who came back in in sixty two, uh, and I think won the Cy Young with twenty three wins, and then beat the Giants in the sixty two World Series. Yeah. Um, all right, so let me continue with some of this stuff because it's it's all amazing. Like they're not just up two nothing; they're doing it in like historic fashion. Um, the nine run victory, winning by by twelve threes, the most lopsided win by a road team in, since twenty eleven in the World Series, and was the uh, and was only the fourth time, Tommy, since the division era started in nineteen sixty uh, sixty nine that a team won a World Series games by World Series game by at least nine runs on the road. Only the eighty two Brewers and ninety six Braves pulled that off. All right, Strasburg's uh, postseason ERA is one point three four. We knew this before, but I'm just throwing it into the mix. Second only to Sandy Koufax for starters that have gotten at least five starts in the postseason. That's amazing. Wow. It really is. And that's going to be the lead if he's in the Hall of Fame was his postseason career at this point. It could be. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, you know, in a way, and, and Rizzo, Mike Rizzo, the general manager, has talked about this. It, and you've mentioned this as well. It's very reminiscent of uh, Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson and 2001 Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, this whole roster is reminiscent of that right now. That was a team that Rizzo was the director of scouting right. on, and I don't think it's a coincidence that this team is built in a lot of ways like that Diamondbacks team was. All right, um, here are the others quick, quickly. You know, the 2 nothing series lead, um, it's 85%, 71 out of 84 teams have gone on to win in the current two three two format, but when you've won the first two games on the road, 22 out of the last 25 have won the World Series. The last team that didn't, um, the Yankees lost the first two in 96 to the Braves and won that series. The 86 Mets lost the first two to the Red Sox and won that series. And the 85 Royals lost the first two to the Cardinals at home and won that series. Um, So there you go. Uh, they, They would appear, based on the facts and figures, to be in pretty good shape. But there's a long way to go. I actually like the Astros in Game 3. Um, I'm going to be there, by the way. Did I tell you that I got a ticket or not? I think you did. Yeah, okay. So um, I'm excited about Are that. Are you going by yourself? No, no. I'm, I'm going to take um, I'm going to take at least – I think Ryan's coming back from Penn State. He's going to come back, go to the game. Uh, and I think Corbin, my middle son, is going to come with me as well. My oldest son, I think, is out of town this weekend. So I think it will be the three of us. And maybe Kara will go if she wants to go. She doesn't really like going to sporting events. But – um, if, uh, did you explain to her that this isn't a sporting event? I did. I did. I did. Okay. I, now, <laughs> now, um, yeah, I, I did. I, it, I don't know that she really cares much. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, I, we, you and I both talked about this before. My wife couldn't care less about sports. Couldn't care less about sports. Um, I guess Neither it's, could mine, except, except she surprises me sometimes. Like she actually sat at home. And watch some of the Stanley Cup games. And I remember she's never you saying that. Never been to a that. hockey game in her life, 
And uh, she's watched some of the, she watched the Nationals in the World Series, but she can't stay up late. She can't stay awake long enough to, to, to watch up, uh, these baseball games. Yeah, that's funny because I, I think we've had this conversation before, but Kara, for whatever reason, really enjoyed the Caps run in the Stanley Cup as well. Um, she got into that, uh, but she was not watching last night. She couldn't have cared less. I, maybe the, maybe I can convince her to go. Um, of course, I, I have friends of mine that would say, seriously, you're going to take your wife and she couldn't care less? <laughs> you know, like, oh, Aaron's looking at me like, Aaron's like, you're not going to take me, you're going to take her? Um, exactly. Come yeah. on. Um, so anyway, we'll we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, all right. Um, I wanted to get to the Redskins, but there are a couple of uh, of other things. Um, did you see? I have not seen the ratings for last night. Are they out yet, Aaron? For for last night's game? Not that I've seen yet. Usually they come out I around seen noon. Them either. Um, uh, not out yet. I haven't seen them yet. No. But game one. Off the charts. A 23.1 rating, Tommy, which is incredible. It's the highest rated game in Nats history. The highest before that was Game 5 against the Cardinals in 2012. You know, Game 4, the closeout game against the Cardinals, only did like a 14.6 rating, which was still really good and the second highest rating for the Nats ever. But I I put out the tweet when they did the 14.6. I said, you're going to see 20s early in the World Series, and when you get to closeout games or crucial, you know, 3-2 or, you know, a a Game 7, you're going to see... 30s and maybe a seventh and deciding game might you know do something around 40 plus. It's just a bigger market opportunity for baseball. We're seeing that, and I think we're going to see a bigger number for last night. You know, I, I, of course, you know I said this on the podcast yesterday, I think, or on the show, and I, you know you got people that are saying you're so dismissive to the Capitals. I don't. I, it's not about the Capitals. The baseball's got a bigger audience. Period. If you don't know that, you're stupid. You know, so you see that I know that this is what people don't get. This is why I've argued that no matter how much the Redskins think, they have the safety net of the fact that arguably it's NFL football. Right. I mean, there, there, there's a, the, an NFL factor that's always going to protect them from falling too far. Yeah. And baseball, because they have bigger numbers, will have that same than hockey we'll have that same phenomenon going, whether it's the Nationals or whatever team. I mean, you know, so of course the Nationals are going to have more interest because there's more interest in baseball. The World Series, you know, does a television rating that's like five times that of the Stanley Cup Finals. You know, I I found the tweet that I wanted to read. It was from this dude, Pat, you know, and I... um, Oh, this guy, Kevin. What? This guy, this guy is... I know who you're talking about. Uh, whatever. I mean, we, we get the same people a lot of the times. But he said, Sheehan, yeah. the 14,500 people at Nats Park last night was considerably less than what the Caps had between those inside and outside the arena You know, when they were making their Stanley Cup run in Chinatown. He goes, I know you love to trash the ca- Caps, but let's be fair here. First of all, it's outside versus mostly inside. It's late October with temperatures, by the way, last night in the 40s versus, you know, 40s and low 50s versus, you know, the middle of June. I mean, get a grip. I mean, for last night personally, I, I mean, I, I feel this way. I don't, 
I'm not a guy that's going to go to Nats Park and watch the game. I like watching the game. I like being into the game and not missing pitches and not missing, you know, the commentating. You know, I and and I don't like to be bothered when I'm watching a big game. You know, I'll go I'll go to a sports bar with some friends to watch, you know, the first two days of the NCAA tournament, but I'm not going to stay there for the Maryland game. I need to be by myself or with you know my <laughs> my small my small uh, group of, of people that I like watching games with. I I don't want to be with the dudes that have the jerseys on with their own name on the back of the jersey, and all they care about <laughs> is getting hammered and 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 you know and and trying to get lucky you know in in a in a setting like that. But anyway, um, no the the net of it is is that baseball has the real. I think basketball does too, but you know that that's. Well, I don't think we're ever going to see that, you know, where where the the Wizards are in the same position that the Nats are in right now to do a fair, com, you know, uh, comparable. Um, but the Nats right now are the clear number two in town. Like it's not close, and we're going to see that because you're going to see a television number in the 30s here in the next few games. I agree. I I, I agree. I agree with with all that. And uh, what's interesting is, by the way, look, it's not a knock so- on the Caps. It's not. They had a great run and a cool bandwagon, just like the Nats are benefiting from the bandwagon effect too. You know, uh, do you know that it, uh, a, you could get into Game Four against the Cardinals for less than a hundred bucks? You know, uh, leading up to that game late, you're not going to be able to get into the park for the World Series for less than a thousand dollars. But go ahead, continue. No. no, not at this point. And I noticed that nationally, I think Game One of the World Series. The ratings were, you know, lower than they've been before, almost historically lower. Yeah. But this shows this shows how 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 difficult it is to interpret TV ratings today, and how I think they're eventually, really soon, you know, going to go out the window in terms of a measurement. I think the only people that pay attention to them right now this, are, are Madison Avenue. And uh, nah, I, I, I disagree with you. It's still the significant, you know, majority of people that consume a sporting event. They do they do so through television. All of the other ways to consume this stuff is a fraction of television right now. It may change but, but down the, the road. But the but the measurement is is, is 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 a flawed measurement. And I mean, how so? But here's the here's the confusion of of what happened in Game One with the national broadcast. It's one of the lowest they ever had, but it was the highest rated TV show in the United States that night. Right. So how do you, what does that mean then? Oh, you're comparing it to back when you didn't have all these options. I, and I see what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, no, no, I totally yeah. agree with that. I totally agree yeah, with so that. Like, like people well, could say, oh, look, it, the ratings are the lowest they've ever been. And you could say, yeah, but more people watch the World Series than any other program on TV that right, night. of course. It's the same with the NFL. It's the same with, you know, basketball. I mean, yeah. you know, the the pre-cable days, you'll never match those numbers when you had right. three options, ABC, CBS, and NBC. You're never going to have that option. But, you know, the numbers for the Nats-Houston uh, series are going to be down compared to Red Sox-Dodgers last year or Astros-Dodgers the year before that or, you know, was it Cubs-Indians the year before that? I think it was. Yes, so, it was. You, so you've had big, big market baseball, you know, cities involved yeah. in the World Series, and now you've got Houston and Washington. Um, but anyway, uh, which, which like, I might want to point out, uh, are, you know, when you talk about big market, a lot of that has to do with identity more than actual market size. 
because Houston is the fifth largest market in the and country. And D.C. the sixth. And, and Washington is, the, is like six or seven. Yeah, six. So these are big markets. Yes. But in terms of identity, these teams are not big market identity teams. Fair enough. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yes, the Dodgers and the Red Sox are big brands. The Nationals yeah. are in the Astros are not baseball or sports brands uh, at this point. Right. Um, but I'll tell you what, you know, the, the, the most impressive thing, you know, as we've sat here for years and talked about the bad culture and the bad ownership and the bad management of the football team in town, what the Nationals have accomplished, and I'm so glad, by the way, that they didn't get eliminated in the wild card game and lose Rendon and, and have, you know, uh, coming off a year that was disappointing from an attendance standpoint, et cetera. I'm so glad that they've made this run because it really does validate you know, everything they've been doing for a while now. They are a perennial contender. You know, this is sustained success. This is the fifth year in the postseason for this team in the last eight years. And they're going to and they're in the World Series and they may win it this year. But it's not like they just got here. You know, we we've obviously documented leading up to these this postseason the four major disappointments, especially the three game five losses at home. Um, but they are doing something right down there. Mike Rizzo has done something right. He's figured it out, and he's created and built a perennial contender. You know, they're in the hunt every year. You can't say that. Yes, they are. About you I know, think, I think a lot of teams. I, I think they're the third winningest franchise in baseball in, in, in since 2012. And and the three years that they didn't make the playoffs, they they had winning seasons. It's not like they went in the tank and lost like 90 or 100 games. I mean, they, they, they have not had a losing season since 2011. Uh, so you're right. They have built something that in this day and age it has sustained remarkably. Did Matt Williams after – did they did they have a winning record after the year they lost – after the year they lost to the Giants? Yeah, I think they won 83 games that year. Oh, okay. But um, I know they have not had a losing season. Yeah, like uh, last year with Davey, they won eighty-two games. Yeah, it's um, I I love that. I you know the, the Rizzo sharp. We've always known it. You know he he is he knows what he's doing. I I'm I I don't know that the learners have always had the same faith that people like you've had in them. You know, real baseball people. Um, but uh, they know what they're doing. And again, you know, I say that in knowing that there's this fine line, right? of not getting through the Milwaukee wild card game and a lot of things changing potentially, you know, if they had not gotten through Josh Hader in the wild card game. But that doesn't change the fact that that was their fifth postseason appearance in eight seasons or seven, whatever it is. I think it's five out of – it was. It's fifth out of eight, right? Because they were – Yes, it is. They weren't in it in 13, 15, and 18. I think that's what it is. Right. Um, That's correct. All right. So uh, exciting times, and Friday night's going to be quite the scene, um, and uh, it, it and quite the ticket. It will be one of the most difficult tickets to get uh, we've had in this town in a long, long time. And as you pointed out, maybe the most important sporting event uh, ever to be played in this city. Um, we, you know, you've had NFC Championship games, and you've had Stanley Cup Finals games, and an NBA Championship, you know, series game. But it's the World Series. And they're playing at least two this weekend. I bet. The, I bet you that the learners deep down, if the Astros win, say on Saturday, which by the way there's rain in the forecast, and they have to end it in Game Five, wouldn't be that displeased. 
they'd love the revenue from all three home games. Oh yeah, I mean that they have. I mean, the postseason revenue for every owner in every sport yeah. is, is cash right in their pocket. So I'm, I'm sure they are elated to host this many postseason games. All right. Um, quick word about mybookie.ag. If you want to bet the Astros on Friday night, which I think is going to be the right side, um, even though I think the Nats are going to win the series, uh, you can go to mybookie.ag. If you want to bet football, you want to bet baseball, you want to bet basketball, now the NBA season started. The Wizards opened up last night. Um, Bradley Beal, by the way, got ejected with a minute to go in the game. Uh, I didn't see one second of that last night. But um, if you've been looking for a place to bet, mybookie.ag will take good care of you. You, you, you got There's a lot of research to be done. I've done the research for you. Mybookie.ag is one of the biggest and one of the best in the business. They have fast payouts. They've got great lines. They are fair. You're going to be able to play in any way you want to play. Go to mybookie.ag today. Use my promo code, KevinDC, that's K-E-V-I-N-D-C, and mybookie will double your first deposit. That's mybookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. They'll double your first deposit. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, let's get to um, tonight. Uh, It's a good thing that there's no baseball tonight, and there couldn't be baseball tonight because Fox has the World Series and Fox has Thursday night football. So uh, that's why um, you're not getting uh, baseball to conflict with the football tonight. And the football tonight is Redskins at Vikings, where the Vikings are 16 and a half point favorites uh, in the game. I'm going to do a Redskins win if. Um, I'll do that shortly. Uh, I usually don't do that with Tommy because we usually do it on the Friday show, but we'll do it with Tommy here today. But, um, you know, if not for the Nationals in the World Series, this probably gets people who haven't been paying attention to the Redskins season to perk up a little bit. First of all, there's no football to compete with it. It's the only game tonight. And of course, secondly, they're going to face um, Kurt Cousins uh, in the game tonight. By the way, did you guys hear Callahan the other day enunciate Kirk? He put that K on the end so everybody could hear it. And it was really <laughs> interesting. You know, he said Kirk. Um, a little bit, you know, old, old man Bill's taking some shots at Jay, and that may have been a shot at Bruce a little bit. But anyway, um, I, I, I'm not going to bullshit you. I am not rooting for the Redskins to win this game. I don't think there's any benefit in them winning games the rest of the way. Um, and I get the added benefit of being able to root for Kirk Cousins, who I have been rooting for since the day he left here. Now, <laughs> I have been. I mean, I, I, I have been rooting for him. I'm still rooting for him. You know, now if the Redskins were 5-2... and two, no, I'd want the Redskins to win the game, and I'd want maybe Cousins to, to look good, but I'd want the Redskins to win the game. But understand this, and I'm just being honest. Part of it is that I want to be right. You know, I was among, Tommy knows this, I was among the very few who thought he would be a good quarterback coming out of Michigan State. In fact, Tommy, when we used to do that thing, you heard it here first on the Sports Fix, I predicted, remember I predicted in 2011 that Cousins was going to be the future starting quarterback of the Redskins when he was still at Michigan State. But anyway, I always felt like he seemed like a good fit for Mike Shanahan. Um, I loved what Shanahan said about him and thought about him um, and, and, and would say even privately that this guy is going to be a big-time starting quarterback in the league. I took a guess. I got it right. I mean, he, I've already been proven right. He's been a starting quarterback and a productive one in the NFL. Um, but, 
you know, I'd like to see him continue to evolve into a, a much better quarterback than he's been. Is he a great No, it's like a, a, a winning quarterback. Like a winning quarterback, yes. And winning, yes. you know, <laughs> you win in the NFL for a lot of reasons. You know, if the Redskins had had a better defense in 2016 and 2015, they would have won a lot more games because they were pretty damn good offensively. They were certainly capable enough offensively. Is he a great quarterback? No. I never said he was or would be. He is just a really smart, capable NFL quarterback who if you have the right coaching staff and good players around him, he will torch you. And if you don't, you can rattle the shit out of him and really make him look, you know, subpar. But we've seen enough now from his career to know that if he's got, you know, a good offensive guy in and you know basically designing an offense and, and calling plays around his strength with good pieces around him, he can be really, really good and produce at a high level. And if you don't, then, you know, and, and you get to him, then he can really look average to, to less than average. But, yeah, I am rooting for him um, and the Vikings. Sorry. Uh, if people find that distasteful, um, that's your problem, not mine. I can't stand not, my... people. People won't just find it distasteful that you're hoping the Redskins lose. People may find it more distasteful that you're rooting for Kirk. No, of course, Cubs. but you know, I'm, not, I'm not about to be disingenuous. People know that I'm rooting for him, but I was rooting for the Redskins to lose the Dolphins game. I wanted the Dolphins to make that two-point conversion. So I, I, they've, they've approached the last few weeks and appear on the, on the verge of approaching the next few weeks in a, in a completely irrational way. They still think they are close to something. They're delusional. This should be reboot mode right now, and this is going to be a very valuable draft to have the number one, number two, or number three pick in it, and I want them to end up in that spot. Now, they'll probably fuck it up anyway. I mean, they're already <laughs> fucking up the Trent Williams situation. Did you see the latest news on that, that Cleveland's, no. now, Cleveland's now looking at other NFC East teams, a guy like Nate Solder as a possible trade target, this guy Dorsey keeps calling Bruce saying, we'll give you you know, basically anything you want. I, I'm exaggerating there. I don't know exactly what he's saying. Mike Jones was on with me this morning saying that the Redskins absolutely could get a first and like a third from Cleveland for Trent Williams. And, and Bruce is continuing, uh, you know, the organization's stance is just so petty and so small-minded in my view. Um, yeah, I don't like my organization right now. I am a Redskin fan at heart. I will... I cannot wait for the day that they are actually leg- a legitimate NFL franchise and operating like one, and we're playing meaningful games again. But tonight, well, let me ask, tonight let me I'm, ask I'm rooting question. for Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, do you have any hope that failure will bring about change? No, I don't. I don't. This is the state we're in. I mean, I a lot of us, and I think, by the way, the people that are a little bit more – um, attached to reality, we have we understand that there's no path out of this that's obvious, unless you know. And I've said this before: unless they stumble onto to the next Peyton Manning, like the Ursays did, and maybe Dwayne Haskins is that guy. But as long as Dan Snyder owns this team, and even worse, has Bruce Allen running it, they're not going anywhere. They're not. There's. I mean, they are going to continue to be the laughing stock of the league. And, you know, it is, it's gotten, I forget if you and I talked about this the other day, but, um, 
you know, uh, Kyle took shots at him, and everybody's been taking shots at the Redskins, you know, publicly. There's no right. hes- there's no hesitation, Tommy, for people around the league, media types, other league people, you know, former players to take shots at the Redskins. And I said this the other day, and I forget if I said it to you, so I'll say it again. Um, you know, when people are openly um, critical of, of somebody – to the point where you're almost like taken aback at how critical they are. It's much more of an indication that it's much more than just your record. You know, the fact that you've been a failure. It's that those people don't respect you and furthermore don't like you. And they don't care because they're, 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 it's mob mentality because nobody respects the Redskins and nobody likes the Redskins. You know, there are teams that have just as bad or even a worse record, but they have people in the organization that the rest of the league respects and like, and therefore they actually hope or believe that those teams will get out of their way at some point and turn it around. Nobody believes that about the Redskins. Nobody. And you know what's interesting? Is that? Uh, do you think the team itself, the players itself, are likable? I do actually. I you know so that's, do I. I. I really do. Like there are there are several players. You know, I, I don't know John well, but I've had m- multiple conversations with John Allen. I really like John Allen. Um, Matt Ioannidis is a first-rate guy. Um, you know what? I like Case Keenum. Had a chance to have a conversation with him over the summer, briefly. I like Case Keenum. The, yes, Chris Thompson is a first-rate guy. Yeah, there are people... I like, think they are a likable group of players. <laughs> that's which funny. Makes it so, which yeah, makes I haven't it thought so about difficult. It. Yeah, I haven't thought yeah, about I it mean, that way. I mean, like, you know, you, you almost have to separate the two. I mean, but... Uh, I mean, I, I think... Like, look, I'm not crazy about Josh Norman. Yeah. Um, with... with but, uh, the la- the Landon but, Collins running his mouth all summer about the Giants drove me nuts. Um, yeah, but but I think I think they are a like Morgan group Moses of has gotten to be annoying. Yes. So uh, you have this likable group, uh, but everybody hates the Redskins, and it, it, it's a shame. I feel sorry for these players to be part of the organization, and I'm I'm still not sure most of them realize, and they're inside. Uh, how bad it is on the outside. I think some of them are surprised still with the contempt that everybody has for this this organization. The players, I mean. Yeah. So, you know, uh, when you when you were saying that, I was like, yeah, they do. They have, you know, they have higher quality people as players than maybe they have in the past. I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. You know, Deshaun Jackson, Chris Baker. You know, some of the guys, I mean, they've had a lot of guys that have come into the organization and run their mouth, and they've got a coach that did it this summer in Rob Ryan, and they've had those before. Um, but do they get credit for drafting and acquiring players that are likable? What, what do you, how do you, how do you sort of reconcile the, you know, the ineptitude, the incompetence in which Dan and Bruce run this organization and then say, you know what, though, I really like their employees. I like, I really like their players. Well, it should make it easier to swallow, but it doesn't. It, yeah, it really should, but it just doesn't. You know, like I like, I like Jordan Reed. I like Vernon Davis. Yeah. 
Okay. Again, All right, you convinced me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to root for him tonight. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, but by God. the way, again, just to be clear, I wasn't rooting for him against Miami or New England or last week against the 49ers either. I want them to have the number one pick in the draft and turn it in to like three ones and a two. That's what I want. Um, but anyway, uh, and I want Dwayne Haskins to play. If Dwayne Haskins were starting tonight, I'd really be hoping that he looked and played really well. I would. <sighs> anyway, uh, by the way, Tommy, I think they're gonna, yeah. I think they're going to play well defensively tonight. You ready for my Redskins beat Vikings if? And you can do it too. Yeah, with go me. ahead. All right, go Aaron, ahead. Aaron, will you roll the music, please? They stop the run, all right, Um, and make Minnesota, by the way, one-dimensional, and they put it on Kirk. Yeah, I do like Kirk. I'm rooting for Kirk. I have been rooting for Kirk Cousins. I like Kirk Cousins. You know, he's a quality guy, which, by the way, is one of the reasons he isn't here anymore because he had the choice. They they essentially – you know what? I'm going to go back to that right now because I'm going to take this opportunity. I didn't do it on the show today. You know, I've heard this narrative over the last couple of years that Kirk didn't want to be here, so go to hell, see you later, and a lot of people have just essentially told him to F off, and they don't care about him because he screwed the organization. That is so off um, by miles, all right? That's not what happened here. He was never actually given a reasonable chance to stay here contractually. It wasn't close. Now, is it true that maybe he wanted to leave here, especially after Sean McVay left? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think he looked around the building and saw the likes of Bruce Allen and said, if I have a choice, I'd rather work in a building that doesn't have a person like Bruce Allen. But the Redskins' offer in May of 2017 was so under the market, it was 35 to $40 million under his projected market value, his eventual market value. And while the Redskins had every right to offer whatever they wanted, they were really stupid to offer what they offered if they actually wanted him to accept the offer. There isn't, Tommy, one agent on the planet that would have told their client to accept the Redskins' offer in 2017. Cousins would have been giving the team what turned out to be a $31 million discount. (laughs) Like, who would do that? None of you would. That's what's always made me so confused with some of you, where you say, well, he didn't want to sign here. They never gave him a chance to sign here. They never made him an offer that anybody on the planet in his position would have signed, which, by the way, makes me think that essentially they really knew he wouldn't accept the offer. But then, you know, they made that incredible off-putting mistake of doing what they do organizationally, right? It's their move. They throw people under the bus publicly when they don't like the answers they get from them. You know, Bruce Allen in that statement in 2017 was total redskin pettiness. You know, trying to prop himself up like this was a really good offer and make Kirk look really bad simultaneously, which some of you out there bought hook, line, and sinker. But, you know, what they've always missed is that so many of us, me in particular, you do to a lesser degree, but a lot of us, you know, in the market really pay attention to this stuff. You know, and really, we had been debating for over a year 
what they were going to have to offer him to be competitive. We knew about the lost opportunity of not getting him signed in 2015. Most of us knew the market better than the team knew the market, which is frightening. You know, Bruce just doesn't get that the media here are following this shit day-to-day, granular detail for granular detail. We knew their offer wasn't anywhere close to what the market would be for him at the end of 2017. They didn't think we'd know because, actually, they didn't know. I, I, you know, once I heard Bruce's, you know, statement that day, I knew there was no chance he was going to sign that deal. None. And then he blew it further by not trading him to San Francisco for a first-round pick because they hate Kyle. That's a really good reason if you're six years old. Unbelievable. That, that, you see, to me, that's the most egregious thing, is that once they decided they didn't want him, and once they knew he didn't want them, why would you continue to play that out? Why wouldn't you have then decided, I want, I want to get him out of the building and far away from me as possible? They're if t- you're the Redskins and you hated him, and you couldn't stand them. Why didn't you send them packing? There are two answers to that, Tommy. Two reasons for them not trading him to San Francisco. One is what I just said. They hate Kyle right. Shanahan. And again, that's a really good reason if you're in a sandbox at six years old. You know? But the other reason, Tommy, and this is the real reason. Now, the Kyle thing is real, too. Don't get me wrong. Wait for it. Because they thought they were close. They did. <laughs> Bruce and Dan and Eric and Doug and Jay thought they could make a big run in 2017. And I think there was some feeling in the organization that if they made a big run in 2017, that they could convince him, Kurt, they could convince, they could convince Kurt to stay after a successful season. And by the way, you know, the truth of the matter is, if they had stayed healthy in 2017, it wasn't a contending team, but they were improved enough defensively. You know, with the likes of DJ Swearinger, who played well early in that season, and John Allen as a rookie, that, you know, remember that season, the, the, the dominant win over the Raiders, they should have won, or worst case, gone to overtime against the Chiefs. Um, Josh Doxson, you know, dropped that touchdown pass, and then Jay Gruden mangled the clock at the end of that game. But, you know, after that, the injury bug hit, and the season went to hell in a handbucket. Um, so there's no first-round pick for Kirk. They paid him $23.9 million on the tag, the second tag. There's a bidding war for him in free agency. And he signed pretty much the first-ever totally guaranteed deal in the league's history for $31 yeah. million dollars more than Bruce and Dan had offered eight months earlier. But, hey, you know, they got a third-round compensatory pick for him. <laughs> This is how losers operate. You know, they get petty, they're delusional and detached from what their reality is, and they miss out. And they have no vision, none. They should have signed him in 2015. That's what they should have done. He was a good fit for Jay Gruden. And if they had signed him in 2015 for the 45 to 50 million guaranteed average, you know, 19 to 20 million a year, the deal would have been 15th best contract in the league two years later. They would have been able to build their defense up and they would have had a decent team moving forward, or at least a team that would have been in that 8-8 eight and eight to 10-6 and six range more often than not. But they don't have vision, and they don't do things the right way, and that's why they are where they are now, thinking that Alex Smith is going to come back and save the day in 2020. Um, anyway, uh, the Vikings have been on a roll here recently. 
he's been playing at a high level. Um, but I think that the Redskins have a chance tonight. I, they, they need to stop the run. Minnesota's third in the league in rush offense. By the way, it's not just Dalvin Cook. This guy, Alexander Madison, um, their third-round pick from Boise State, is really good too. But I think the Redskins have gotten better at stopping the run here recently. And I think the San Francisco game and the Miami game are tough games to judge because, you know, they played well for three quarters and then got lit up by Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, in Miami. And then last week, the weather really makes that a hard, you know, a hard tape to evaluate. But if you go back to that New England game in the first half, they were much better defensively in that game. I think they're getting better defensively. I don't think they're a good defensive team, but I think they're getting better. And I think their strength is up front. And if they stop the run and they make Minnesota one-dimensional without Adam Thielen tonight, their best player offensively, you could argue, then you've got a chance to get Kirk uncomfortable. You know, in into third and longs, into straight drop back, not play action or bootleg. And if you can get some pressure... We know that he'll cough it up in the pocket once. You know, he'll throw a ball, an errant ball. And you could, you know, potentially hang in there because of your defense. Um, I also think the only way they move the football offensively is to throw it. Minnesota's impossible to run the ball on. Adrian Peterson is going to play tonight. Um, they got to be more aggressive and they got to throw the ball. I, I found this particular um, interesting uh, uh, stat. Minnesota is second in the league um, right now in defensive penalties. They get called for more defensive holds, more defensive pass interferences than every than 30 other teams in the league. So you got to throw the ball against Minnesota and and hope that you get some flags and you move it and you can hang in there that way. Um, I actually think that they got a chance to cover tonight. I like a 24 to 10. 24 to 13 type of game. What do you think? 35-10 Vikings. <laughs> they're going to they're going to pummel them. And the Redskins can't score. They can't score points. Yeah. They're they, gonna... have, they have no ability to score. They'll be they're lucky. They are a 10 point a game team right now offensively. Yeah, which just, you know, it goes back to what we talked about the other day. You're going to tell me that Dwayne Haskins can't hand the ball off 12 to, uh, can't throw the ball 12 times and hand it off 26 times in the game on Sunday. Give me a break. He should be playing he must tonight. Be, he must be really bad. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot going on that we don't know about. I think uh, there may be, but if the owner's not pushing him to play, and I don't believe he is or else he'd be playing, he must not be as good as, as the owner thought he was. The owner might not be pushing him to play because, you know, Team Haskins doesn't want him to play right now with a coach who is a lame duck and with injuries and without great players around them. I don't But the but the kid wants to play. Yes. I Tommy, he should be starting tonight. They should be playing him. They should be playing him tonight. They should be playing him the rest of the way. No more excuses. You got only 2020 and beyond you should be thinking about. I do I, the, just the thought of watching Case Keenum go out there tonight is is so such a waste of time. It's insanity from my standpoint. But to your point, you know, if he's not starting two or three weeks from now, then it is a massive red flag, and he must not be very good. I do think I know you dismiss it, but uh, myself and others believe. That part of what they fear is he, he, they put him out there, 
he's really bad, and the fan base turns against him. Whatever the fan base is, is that he's a and eight. Yeah. Um, all right, you got thirty. I think that's what's it. You got thirty-five ten. I got twenty-four thirteen. Um, no smell test picks tonight. I do. I I actually like the Redskins plus the number a little bit. I'd lean them. I leaned them against the 49ers uh, on a bad smell test weekend last week. I'll have all the smell test picks tomorrow if you still want them after last week. Um, but I would lean Redskins tonight. I don't know why. I, I just I, I think everybody thinks what you think, which is they've got no chance to keep it close and that Kirk Cousins is going to get his revenge. And, by the way, he has said all the right things this week, which is not a surprise. And, you know, again, it comes down to, you know, Back to what I said before, you know, high quality people, you know, there are some on that team now, you know, they were drafted. They didn't have really a choice. um, A lot of them. Uh, But if you do have a choice, you know, Washington's not the destination, um, you know, as long as some of the people are in the front office running it. All right. uh, Thanks for calling in from Houston and have a safe flight back. Feel better. I'll talk to you on Tuesday. All right, boss. All right. um, Got a little, you know, heated there not between Tommy and I but man I am losing my voice here today uh with a cold from the last couple of days so I've had to elevate uh the volume a little bit sorry if I bursted anybody's eardrums I am absolutely uh gonna watch the game tonight and I hope the Redskins play Dwayne Haskins and then I'll have something to root for um but other than that uh, I'll be rooting for Kirk Cousins to play well and for the Vikings to win it's better for the Redskins if they go one in 15 people it's better they go 1-15, you may get Bruce Allen the hell out of here. But worst case, you end up with no worse than the second pick in the draft. No worse than that. Um, I want to thank Mama Lucia for bringing lunch in today. Uh, they've got the Soto Special going on right now from Mama Lucia. It's extended for another day. It's a Greek salad, a sausage napolitana, garlic bread, and Jimmy's sauce for just $13. By the way, I saw Jimmy over the weekend at Penn State. He was up at the Penn State-Michigan game. It was good to see Jimmy up there. It's available at all six Mama Lucia locations right now, the Soto Special. Call your favorite one or check them out at mamaluciarestaurants.com. I didn't watch any NBA last night, and I'm, I'm assuming most of you didn't either. I am curious, why did Beal get tossed in a game in which they had rallied from 23 down to cut it to 7 with like a minute 10 left, and then he got tossed for arguing with Doncic? You didn't see it either. I, I, I was at uh, Nationals Park. I was at that watch party. So, yeah, I, I saw some of the stuff I'm, on Twitter but didn't see specifics. I, I'm going to go take a look at what happened on that because if they were actually in the midst of a big run and he got tossed, that's stupid. Really stupid. You know... I like Bradley Beal. I think, by the way, he's a really thoughtful guy and an impressive person. I really do. I just, uh, this extension that they just gave him, they better be contending for a 50-win season before his deal's up. You know, it's not going to be this year, you know, obviously. But, you know, they have invested now in Beal and Wall. And they better be back together, and they better be pushing 50 wins in 2020, 2021, you know, during that time frame. Not this year. They're, they're too young. They're too inexperienced. You don't have John Wall out there. Uh, Hachimura, by the way, had a double-double in his first game, 14 points, 10 rebounds. That's, that's a good sign. Um, but you can't get thrown out of a game that you just cut, you know, a huge lead down to seven, and you're actually – I know it's a minute 10 left or whatever, and you're still probably going to lose the game – but you gotta you gotta keep your cool in that spot. Um, Kyrie Irving had 50 in his first game with Brooklyn. 
Uh, and that's all I know from the NBA last night. Uh, I saw some of those highlights. Tiger Woods, my God. Steve Sands is probably listening to this podcast. From He does so from all over the world. Um, he texted me other, the other night sort of indicating that he thought Tiger would play well. Um, Tiger went out in this event in Japan, which is a PGA Tour event, and he shot six under and has the first round lead with Gary Woodland. And that was after three bogeys. He then made nine birdies. And that was on Golf Channel late last night after the baseball game, during the baseball game, and I turned turned it on. The, it was like a, a, a gallery for a major championship with Tiger on the back nine. They were nuts over Tiger Woods. Um, something else for some of you and me to pay attention to the rest of the weekend. All right, uh, back tomorrow, smell test, NFL preview, Redskins-Vikings recap. And we'll get you ready, obviously, for Nats-Astros Game 3 at Nats Park tomorrow night. All right. Um, other than that, you know, we've got an app out. I think we've mentioned that the last couple days. You can get it in the Apple, uh, you know, on your Apple iPhone in the App Store, or you can get it on Android in the Google Store. Um, Kevin Sheehan Show, download the app. Uh, very simple to use. If you have any feedback on it, let us know. Please rate us and review us at a high level. That would be nice. Um, that helps us out. And obviously tell everybody that is old and doesn't know how to do an app on their phone or a podcast that we're available at the thekevinsheehanshow.com. Have a good rest of the day. Really fun last night. Uh, good stretch of days for DC sports. Uh, tonight, at least there's a game to watch and there's no other NFL to watch. If there's other NFL, I'm, I'm more interested in the other games tonight. It's a standalone and we'll see what happens. Uh, have a good day.